Is this a spiritual podcast? <laughs> sure is. You're listening to Wild and Holy Radio, the realest conversation on spirituality, finding your truth, and creating a life that honors your soul. I'm your host, Megan Hale, and together we'll grow in more faith, more love, and doing our holy work in the world. We've always been holy, and we were born to be wild. Permission to be both is granted. This episode is sponsored by Honey and Sage Co., a women's wellness subscription care package and apothecary who believe in holy wellness and self-care is sacred. Find out more at honeyandsageco.com. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to Wild and Holy Radio. I just want to say a quick thank you to all of those of you who shared the podcast episode last week and for reaching out to me, um, letting me know how much it meant to you, and just sharing how some of these concepts were landing with you. I really, um, wow, like that means so much to me because last week was vulnerable, and I opened up a conversation that I don't feel very well versed in, but really needed to share the messy middle of where I am and where I'm being called to go. So to know that um, there were lots of me too's really meant a lot to me. So thank you. And before we get into our episode today, just a quick reminder that today at midnight is the last chance to join me for Wild and Holy Truth, the eight week group program that helps you unravel all of the stories that are keeping you from being braver in the world. So this program is really here to help you trust yourself more to help you trust your own guidance, to trust your own wisdom, trust your own intuition, and to rewrite the script on what it means to be divine. I really want you to know what your divinity means to you, how you are cultivating um, a deeper relationship with your spiritual belief system. This is such a grounding force for how we interact in the world, but more importantly, how we think and believe and feel about ourselves so we can do our holy work in the world and make the impact we're here to make. So this program, we are kicking it off today. So if this has been calling you, you've been interested in it, please go and join me at wildandholytruth.com. This is going to be the, like such a great phenomenal eight weeks that it's going to end 2017. So incredibly strong to set you up for a 2018 that's just going to blow your mind and soul wide open. So I would love to have you join me. So one of the goals of Wild and Holy Radio, those of you who joined the Wild and Holy Radio launch team Facebook group before we launched Wild and Holy Radio know that I, I, kind of put out a mission statement about what my goal was with this new podcast. And one of the things that was really important to me was to bring together, um, it was, I want Wild Holy Radio to be a spiritual hub for people who are coming from all different types of religious backgrounds and really sharing stories of how we're each finding or awakening to our own spiritual path, how we're finding our truth and creating a life based on that truth and the bravery it takes in order to do that. So one of those goals is to bring in people from all different types of faiths and to share the wisdom that is available in all of these different types of faiths and practices and religions in the world. So I am so excited to finally be sharing my first guest that is bringing some wisdom from something that's different than my background. And I am interviewing Rabbi Sharina Eisenberg today. And this, oh my gosh, this conversation, you guys, Sharina has this just soft, beautiful way of threading in the divine feminine um, to the Jewish religion and faith. And it is 
uh, there's this one part in our conversation where she talks about, um, you know, one of the words that's used to describe God in the Torah. And when you look at the original translation, it actually means womb. And I just had to take a moment when she said that of just really sinking into the power of that. And Oh, she is such a gem, you guys. So I'm so excited to share her wisdom with you. Um, Rabbi Sharina Eisenberg is a speaker, educator, and performer who shares Jewish spiritual gems that spark more joy and beauty into the world. Presenting on topics of creativity, authenticity, and feminine empowerment, she creates sacred space for women to discover how to tune in, turn on, and radiate their unique light into the world with love and reverence. As a singer, certified Jen Shen, her energy healer, professional chef, and dancer, she creates multiple entry points for embodied and accessible spiritual practice. Rabbi Sharina has offered programs at institutions, including Harvard University, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and all synagogues and women's gatherings across the nation. I would love for you to connect with her and find out more at her website, which is sharinaeisenberg.com. All of that information will be in the show notes. I'm so ecstatic to be sharing this conversation with you. It is a beautiful one, and I hope that you take some powerful nuggets from it just like I did. So let's get into our conversation today. Without further ado, here is Sharina. Welcome back to Wild and Holy Radio, you guys. It has been, I feel like, forever since I've had a guest on the show, and I am so excited to be breaking that cycle with the wonderful Sharina. I am so excited that you're here with me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom with my audience. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, so for all of our listeners, uh, me and Sharina, we connected on a phone call. We actually have a mutual friend and she sent us a Facebook message. She said, y'all two need to talk and I'm not going to tell you why because you'll know when you get on the phone. And we were both like, okay. And then we got on the phone and we were like, oh yes, we so needed to connect. Yes, absolutely. We had so much in common and the words just kept flying out like me too. Wait, oh really? I know. I know. You know, one of the things that I am so looking forward to about this conversation, one of the things um, that Wild and Holy Radio is trying to do in the world is really bring people from different religious backgrounds to really talk about their spiritual journey. Because I have a feeling that there's a lot more um, that brings us and ties us together than actually separates us. <laughs> and you're joining us. You are a Jewish rabbi. And I would love to know how you found yourself in this role. Like, what was your path to becoming a rabbi? Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, not be a straight and narrow path, I can tell you. <laughs> so I, I grew up Jewish, and I grew up in a family that uh, celebrated Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath, that, you know, attended synagogue, that went and did all the holidays, and um you know, I grew up experiencing Judaism rather than just learning it intellectually. Mm. And I think that was so important. I grew up excited for Friday evening when my mother would bake challah, uh, which is our traditional bread that we serve on Friday night. It is so tasty. And we would sit down as a family and say blessings together over our food and sing songs. And there was such a feel of family connectedness mm. and just appreciating the beauty of living. 
And those sorts of things as a child, I gravitated towards. I've always been attracted to beauty and joy and those simple pleasures in life. And so that worked so well for me when I was a kid. And then, of course, I started growing up. <laughs> and that's when things became a little more complicated. You know, I was a teenager. I had questions about who I wanted to be in the world, mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, I had questions about boys. I yes. had questions about my body. I had questions about how I would be a woman in the world. What did that mean? Mm -hmm. um, and what were my opportunities? What was open to me and what wasn't? And, you know, for as long as I can remember, I would always talk to God. I would just like, I would have these conversations with this entity I couldn't see, but I just felt like there was this life force energy that was around me that I was a part of, and I could tap into that, and I could talk, I could ask my questions, I could, you know, just share delights and fears and all of those sorts of things. So that came very naturally to me. I'm an energy healer, and mm -hmm. I, so like all those sort of spiritual things were so there, but then I really didn't know how to connect that with Judaism, the religion. Mm -hmm. Right, because there's personal spirituality, and then there's the actual rituals and services and prayers and obligations of a religion. Mm -hmm. So when I was a teenager and in college and even graduate school, I really struggled to find my place in religion. Mm. I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to. I felt like people would think I was crazy if I started saying, oh, so I have conversations with God. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, this energy work that I do, I can tap in, like I hug a tree and I can feel its energy and I know that's divine and holy. I thought people were going to think I was just absolutely insane. Uh -huh. And what I realized was that a lot of people did. Like a lot of people who were leaders in the Jewish world were not sharing a Judaism that I could relate to. Mm. They're sharing a Judaism that was much more black and white much more about observances, much more about written texts and analyzing them and figuring out how you're supposed to be Jewish in the world. And I was asking questions about how do I live my life? How can I find more beauty? How can I express all, all of that divine wisdom and light within me out into the world? Mm -hmm. And how can I be Jewish too? Because that's how I grew up. That's my culture. That is my spiritual technology. And so I'm very lucky in that through all that struggle, I met amazing people who really helped me to recognize that there's so much more in Judaism that I hadn't ever known existed because I hadn't been exposed to it. Yeah. But once I was, and I found those teachers, I decided I wanted to become a rabbi so I could be a Jewish spiritual leader. And I started to realize that I could now teach the spiritual technologies of Judaism to others, other people mm. who were craving exactly what I was. And I could really hopefully help other Jews who felt isolated from Judaism feel more connected and be able to also share these technologies with the world. So we all have access to spirituality and to really feel connected, plugged into the source of who we are. Mm, so good. So good. I mean, one of the things that I love about your story in particular is really looking at how you can be 
both Jewish and spiritual and that these aren't necessarily the same things, right? Like spirituality is so much more about our personal connection with the divine, whereas our religion really kind of gives us a framework for how to be in the world. And sometimes that framework can feel a little constraining when it's very black and white. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet there's something so homey about it as well. Mm -hmm. you know, we can have fear and guilt and shame and you name it that can really cause problems in our lives if we're believing aspects of religion that are really hurting us. Yeah. But on the flip side, there's joy, there's celebrations, there is special food and family memories and these moments of firsts, you know, yes. because religion can help us concretize time in a sacred way. Mm. They're good with ritual. They like to create sacred moments. And that is precious. We all need that. That's it's so just true. sometimes the other aspects of religion can really bog us down. So... <laughs> It's not to say one or the other is better, but just that we have to find our own personal way through them. Yes. So I really want to kind of zero in on, on this part of your story in particular, because I think, you know, so many of my listeners out there, they're either already in the spiritual realm and like really cultivating this personal relationship with God, source, spirit, the divine, whatever terminology is comfortable for them. And then there's others who are really early on in this journey where they've been um, very centered in a religious context. And there's a lot of messages around it being like not safe or not okay or actually even bad to go and explore other things outside of that religious context. And so when you're sharing your story of like, you know, I, I always had this deep spiritual connection in me, this energy piece that people were going to think I was weird or crazy or didn't belong. And I feel like there's, there's always that um, kind of fork in the road where it's like, I'm either going to listen to the way like God is calling me to interact with him or her. Or I can just turn all that part of me off because it's not, it doesn't belong anywhere. There's no like nice little box and container for it to fit in. And it's like we kind of have to choose ourselves and it can feel really scary um, in that moment. And so I would love to hear from you like what your experience was, of that was like early on. Yeah, well, you know, this is, this is a challenging question and there's so many ways to go, but uh, what really came through when you were saying this was we're actually about to have another holiday. The fall is full of these holidays, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, like we just have a lot, but we're right now in a holiday cycle um, called Sukkot, which is a harvest holiday, lots mm -hmm. of joy and celebration. And right at the end of that is a holiday called Simchat Torah, which means celebrating the Torah. It's like the Torah's birthday. And the Torah is sort of our basic text that we start learning as young children, and it is our Bible. And mm -hmm. when we're studying this text, it has stories of people who have navigated the pathway to understanding their divinity and mm -hmm. understanding who they are and their purpose. But it also has a lot of laws, a lot of rules, a lot of do this, don't do that. There's wars that are talked about. There's an exodus from Egypt that's talked about. It is so massive. And there's so much that is that can be viewed as black and white, mm -hmm. right? When you have a text, especially, um, it can be really challenging. So for example, when I was younger, 
uh, I was born right around this time. I was born right after this holiday. So this has special significance to my life. And, you know, I study the actual written word of what was supposed to be divine and holy. Mm. And sometimes those words just didn't fit for me. I just didn't get it. Or I didn't understand why I needed to learn someone else's story to understand my own. Mm. And so I really struggled with that. And there is a real emphasis. Um, the Jewish world, you know, we, we often look at ourselves as people of the book. That's even a name that sometimes we're given because we really have taken a tremendous effort to preserve our writings. And people comment on the Torah and we keep um, creating layers of commentary to try to understand the nuances of this basic text and see the light underneath it. But unfortunately, when we actually look at the words, sometimes we can't make heads or tails. We can't see the light. It just, it's, it's like a brittle piece of paper with some yeah. words on it. And so one of those first moments where I started to see the light and realize that I could begin connecting my own spirituality with religion was at Simchat Torah, was at the celebration of the Torah. And here's what happened. I was in synagogue and everyone decided that we would celebrate the Torah not only by singing and dancing, which is what is traditionally done, but we would unroll a Torah scroll. Oh, wow. So Torah is this big scroll that we have written on parchment and it has all the Hebrew letters of these five books of Moses. And normally we only open a little bit and just read a passage from it on Shabbat or holiday. But this time we unrolled the entire scroll. And these scrolls are big. They're yeah, heavy. I was thinking like they have to be massive. It, it's amazing. And we all gathered around the periphery of the synagogue to help hold the Torah. Mm -hmm. And the rabbi came in and was looking at different parts, showing us, oh, this is some poetry. Look how beautiful it is on the page. And oh, this is the Exodus from Egypt. Look at that. You know these words. You know this and that. The rabbi was so excited to show us the entire Torah. And then the rabbi said this, look at the last letter of the Torah, which is a Lamed. Lamed has L sound, just like an A has an A sound, that sort of thing in English. Lamed is a Hebrew letter that sounds like L. And then the beginning of the Torah starts with a bet or a ba sound. Ba and va are the same in Hebrew, mm. same letter. And they said, look what happens when you get to the end of Torah and you go to the beginning. The last letter and the first letter, the Lamed and the Bet, together spell Lev. Lev means heart. Mm. And the heart represents love. This entire circle of Torah, the entire purpose of the Torah, of the reason we read this all the time and study it, is for love, to open our hearts, to receive the divine love, and to share that out in the world. And that was the first moment where I said, oh my goodness, this connects. You don't have to learn it that way. It has to be taught that way. It has to be brought out that way. 
Mm -hmm. And it's not enough of the time, but there are those moments when it is. And that's when I began to recognize that it's actually okay to take pieces of my religious tradition and have that be part of my spiritual practice. Mm. I don't have to take everything, but I can take what is meaningful and then I can trust myself and my own divine calling to point the way forward. Wow, uh, so many things come up for me while you're talking about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I come from the Christian background, so everything's kind of framed around the Bible. And I don't know if you know Rob Bell, but he just came out with a book called What is the Bible? And he talks about how, you know, we can kind of get lost in the actual stories and the rules and, and the shoulds. But if we kind of fly up high and we look at the Bible as a whole, like we have a much different understanding of it. And it's almost like I was thinking about that as y'all were unraveling the whole Torah and you take the ending and you bring it to the beginning of like, what is this really forming? What is the overall meaning of this? And we're flying high above it, of it being around love. Like how do we practice love in the world? And there's still all of those intricate stories in the Torah that give so much spiritual wisdom of how to be in the world and connect with our divinity. But on a whole, like what this is really about is, is love. It's, and that's a totally different thing. Like we can sometimes like lose that if we get too specific and too zeroed in, you know? Right. And when we lose the love, when we lose our authenticity, when we start to believe that someone else knows better than we do and we stop trusting our inner wisdom, how can we navigate the world? You know, then yeah. everything becomes a chore and, you know, a simple word on a page can trigger us. Yeah. But when we're coming from love, we can float over the things that are not, you know, not our particular wisdom within mm -hmm. a religion and just let that go, but take what we actually desire. Um, for me, this is what I call soul Torah, which is the Torah of who we are, meaning that there are some aspects of Torah that really resonate with me. Like I'm on that same vibrational wavelength. It really, really works. And that's great for me. And maybe that will change at some point. Yeah. But right now this is where I am. But that's the nice thing about a text is that it can sit on a shelf. It can be there forever. So we can always go back and say, you know what? I just, I need something and, you know, look up a Psalm or look up whatever and go, oh, that was the inspiration I needed today. Mm -hmm. But we also can close the book and put it on the shelf and sit with our hand on our heart and pray the words in our heart and have that be enough. Mm. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> like the first thing that comes up for me though, is like, did it, did it require you to give yourself permission to, to do that? Because like in Christianity and like the Christian upbringing, it's like, you can't pick and choose. Like it's either all true or it's not. <laughs> right. And oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yes, permission a hundred percent and the amount of fear and guilt and shame. And also that feeling that what if I say something about Judaism and I'm the one who destroys it. Mm. Like I make one little mistake. I think that I'm really 
serving the world. I think I'm really on my divine purpose and I say something and I think it's great and I completely destroy Judaism. Like that's even a thought I've had. You know, what if I'm the one who just, just messes it up? Yeah. So there is this sense that there is something very holy. There is something that has been around for a really, really long time. It's part of my ancestry. And, you know, there, there is a lot of fear that can come up about picking and choosing, about saying, you know what, this works for me, that doesn't. But the nice thing about Judaism, which uh, I grew up knowing up front, which was very, very helpful, is that there isn't just one way to be Jewish. There isn't just one way to practice Judaism. In fact, if someone tells you there is, please walk away because that just isn't true. Our commentary, which is called the Talmud, that's kind of our first layer of commentary, mm -hmm. is discussions between a rabbi and another rabbi. And then a third rabbi comes in, and then a fourth. And sometimes they're not even from the same generation, but they're somehow in this text together, and they're talking about some aspect of Judaism and saying, oh, I think this is what it is. Oh, and the other person says, no, 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 I think it means this. And then a third person says, you know what? I think we're on the wrong track. Really, it's talking about this. Yeah. And more and more rabbis, all in the same place, talking to each other, arguing, and that is what is preserved in the Talmud. Oh, I love that. And it's the pre preservation that is key. Because one person may be right now, one person may have said what the ruling is now, but we don't ignore what other people say because that may become true at some point. We're mm. always evolving. Yeah. We are always growing and expanding. And the divine through every single human being it's precious and as we explore what that is the entire world changes and morphs and so we need to know that our, our voice matters just like someone else's voice and we may not win the argument today and it may not be even about winning but simply expressing ourselves that is part of our divine journey yeah. and that's okay that can be recorded that can stay with us and we can express it with love in our hearts oh my goodness this is like one of the things that just the permission in that yeah to yeah. bring your own opinions to bring your own interpretations to have conversation and dialogue where there's no absolute truth yeah. is so huge because i think oftentimes we look at a sacred text as we're looking towards this as like the Holy Grail mm -hmm. and we're looking at what somebody else's truth was in that moment, which is not going to be necessarily our truth and where God is calling us or how God is working through us in that moment. And that can actually, I think, create a lot of limits if we are not allowing ourselves to have our own divine truth and we're looking towards somebody else's truth to kind of govern or decide yeah. what we need to be doing in any given moment, you know? Absolutely. And the, the, the Hebrew phrase that uh, keeps coming to me as you're talking is Elu, Elu ve Elu, Elohim And it means this and this are the words of the living God. <laughs> it means that it's, it's not just either or, it's not black and white. It's the full spectrum of the colors of the rainbow. 
It's that fullness that is actually the living God, that force which animates us, which makes flowers grow, that gives us the ability to wake up in the morning and stretch and breathe and yawn and start a new day and really create consciously. Mm -hmm. That is where the divine exists. It's not necessarily in the black and white. It can be, but really, it's in that full spectrum of color. This episode is brought to you by Honey and Sage Co. I just received my third subscription box from them. You guys, it's all about abundance, which is such a beautiful, beautiful intention to really be sinking into during this last few months of pregnancy that I have everything within me to call in everything that I desire. There's always a surplus of everything that we need out there in the world. You know, I have to say the past three months of receiving their products, two of them have really become part of my daily practice, which I absolutely adore. Their body oil, which I've been using to massage into this growing belly during pregnancy that's full of frankincense, which is all about spiritual connection, which I just adore being able to rub that oil on my belly and with this little boy who's growing inside of me and also their aura mist. I am obsessed with them. I cannot wait to get my next one because they have several on their website. So go and check out all of their products at honeyandsageco.com. They're giving you 10% off your first order. Just use the coupon code HOLYANDWILD at checkout. Okay, so I have to I have to ask you about this one in particular piece because I'm just so curious. So, um, would you say that the Torah as a whole is like a patriarchal type text, or is there a divine feminine present within the text? Like, how would you describe it? So it's a really good question, and I'm not a Torah scholar. So there are people who do PhDs on this and who have spent their entire lives researching this. So I can't speak for them, and I can only speak for my experience. Um, but yes and no. That would be my answer. Um, yes, you can read these texts, and primarily from the research I've ever read, these texts were written by men. Mm-hmm. These texts were compiled over a long range of time. They were edited. And these were people who had some sort of divine spark within them that was yearning to be expressed and to be written down. So it's very easy to look at the Torah and find beauty and to find this life force that is both masculine and feminine and that can animate us all. And I think also the Torah and often what it talks about um, is a bit of a reaction to the types of pagan cultures that were before it mm-hmm. that really identified with the feminine, mm. that uh, worshipped the feminine, the idea of, of creation and of rain and of nurturing and of being able to actually create newness into the world, prosperity and all of that that was very feminine because we can birth babies and we can feed babies from our bodies. And that was, there there was an awe around that. Another aspect was mother nature. This Mm -hmm. idea that nature is feminine by essence. There is something so rich here physically in our experience. And that's that nurturing quality of, of nature. And so some aspects of the Torah were a reaction against that but not all. 
And so, you know, I look at the Torah and there are also other books that are connected uh, with the Torah to create our Tanakh, which is our complete Bible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of those are the Song of Songs. And if you've ever read that, that is one of the most erotic uh, prose that you've ever read. I mean, the way <laughs> that these lovers are describing each other and you're like a pomegranate and your lips and your breasts, like it's just, it's overflowing with sensuality and with pleasure and with desire. And these are all very feminine constructs. Mm -hmm. And so, yes and no, it's so hard to really say one way or the other, it's really, I think, interpretation. Mm. I think that the way that the Torah can be used in a patriarchal manner is when it is put on such a pedestal above our own intuition, mm. above our own divine knowings. I think we have to balance what it is that we know in our hearts with also what we're experiencing in the world, what our texts tell us. We have to be able to be in dialogue but yeah. we can't ignore ourselves and that intuition is really a feminine gift that we have and we can nurture and so I think as long as we keep that in check and we really own that within ourselves we can look at the Torah and find the feminine wisdom mm -hmm. we can find the feminine names for God for example um, one of the most common names that we use in in prayer especially, is a name for God, which is Rachamim, which means compassionate one. Mm. Because, you know, so often we are praying in a sense of, oh, please be compassionate towards us, because we realize that we're in this pickle and we, we just don't know what to do. In Hebrew, all of our words come from roots. And so Rachamim comes from a root, Racham or Rechem, Rechem means womb. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. You know, we can think of God as this Lord. We can think of God <laughs> as a thing. We can do whatever it is we want. But there are names that mm. are about the womb space and about mm. how precious it is that we have a womb. We can create. We can do that divine experience of creation. Or even just thinking about the concept of like being in God's womb, of just yes. the yes. sacred space of that, like just so cradled and nurtured, like you have everything you need in there. Yes. Yes. What a great you know? and that would be to do in the morning, you know, just to yes. really cradled. Yes. Yes. So oh, I love that. The Torah really, when you start interpreting and you start really looking at it, you can find that femininity. You can mm. find that divine feminine. But sometimes you have to look a little harder than you might think. Oh, my goodness. So I'm really curious, like, as you are coming into being a woman, so during your adolescence, and, like, really asking yourself the big questions that all of us ask of, like, how do I be a woman in this world? I feel that um, our religion informs so much of our culture. And I hear that very strongly from Judaism. Because um, it's all of these rituals and connection and community, and these are the ways that we come together and celebrate and even mourn, you know? So I'm curious, like, were there any, like, um, guidelines or um, parameters around what it meant to be a woman in the world? Mm -hmm. Great question. 
So here's the thing about Judaism. There isn't just one way to do it. Which I love. So, <laughs> that's just something, just if you get a takeaway from this, that's a really <laughs> I grew up in the conservative movement, which was sort of a movement in between an orthodox movement and a reform movement. Mm -hmm. and I was sort of in this middle ground area where, you know, when I went to synagogue, for example, I wore a skirt or a dress. And I wouldn't wear a mini skirt or a mini dress. I right. would wear something that would come by my knee. And I wouldn't wear a low cut shirt or those sorts of things. You know, I would dress in a way that enabled me to feel good about myself and my body, but also wasn't necessarily too revealing. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that I was taught to do. That was mm -hmm. just part of, you know, my grandmother and my mother taught that to me as just a respectful way to be in a public arena like that. Mm -hmm. um, other things I learned were that there was a very special women's mitzvah or a woman's good deed that they could do, some action step that they could do every week. And that was during Shabbat, they could light the candles. That was something specific for women. And they, in a sense, women had full reign on the house. Mm. They were to create sacred space in the home. Because in Judaism, there were times when we had a temple standing and we would do sacrifices. And the idea of the altar became our dining room table. Mm. That's what it you know, and so there's sacredness at the table, there's sacredness of gathering together for a meal and sharing nourishment. And so that is something that a woman could do very well. But of course, that's playing into some patriarchal ideas of what the role of women is in society. Mm -hmm. And so certainly some of those trickle down. Now, I happen to love um, being in the kitchen and whipping up a, you know, five course meal. I love doing that. So that never felt as if it were a burden. I mm -hmm. love mm -hmm. aprons and doing all those sorts of things, but definitely there was a sense that I had that this was a way that a woman could really create a beautiful home and allow that divine energy of, of the universe to dwell within our home. Mm -hmm. But that to me was, was very positive. And other than that, there weren't so many restrictions. Um, I mean, I obviously grew up being told I had to marry someone Jewish because, you know, what, what mother doesn't, you know, want their child <laughs> in a particular direction. But other than that, it was actually very flexible. I was mm -hmm. a ballet dancer um, for a while. I did music. I was very into the arts. I had all the freedoms to... Uh, a fantastic education and to really do whatever it was that I desired. Um, but at an early age, I definitely didn't think I was going to be a rabbi. <laughs> a lot of people told me I would be, and I kind of rolled my eyes and said, yeah, I'll be a ballet dancer slash pianist slash musical theater writer slash, you know, 50 other <laughs> things that I wanted to do. But, you know, I think part of it is that I learned a lot about being a woman from non-religious sources. Mm. Not from my religion so much, but from talking with my girlfriends, from learning about femininity, from, from different spiritual traditions. 
uh, from asking myself questions from an energy point of view of how energy travels through mm -hmm. the um, chakras in our bodies. How can we utilize that? And so it was more through those more, I don't want to say secular, but through, I guess, a non-Jewish lens that I learned about that. Of course, now looking back, I now am learning all of the Jewish ways that we can actually teach that. I just wasn't exposed to that when I was So when it came time for you to step into a leadership role with any religion, was that like an easy move for you? Or were there any like messages that you had to work through to own your voice or give yourself permission to take up space and, and lead? great question um yes and continuingly yes I, I think this is an ongoing journey because mm -hmm. i'm still discovering my own spirituality i'm still discovering every day what my voice can share and how that can affect the world in yeah. positive positive ways um but yeah i you know i was really focusing on the arts. I was a music major in college and I love teaching. So education was a real interest of mine. I, I have a number of different degrees and certificates and I was really, you know, they're all based in the arts, either the performing arts or the healing arts, the culinary arts. And each time I would start pursuing one of those professionally, I would miss the spirituality aspect. Mm. I would go, but I'm Jewish too, and I, how does that relate? And so one of the big reasons that I wanted to study Judaism in depth was to see the connecting points. Mm. I wanted to connect the dots for myself so I could connect the dots for others. So that they wouldn't have to feel so separate where their own personal spiritual journey and their religion were just two polar opposites that they couldn't make heads yeah. or tails together. And so I am um, slowly but surely I was convinced that I wanted to study Judaism and it was through a lot of you know twists and turns that I finally found a place where I could bring my whole self and um, basically the way I knew that this would be my home was I was at my interview and you know interviewing with these rabbis where you, you know I'm, I'm going oh please accept me please accept me you know it's, it's a little nerve-wracking like any interview and I just remember them asking me to share who I was and why I wanted to be a rabbi. And I kept talking about my interest in the arts and about creativity and the divine and wanting to just support people in that, that connection that they have with their own divinity. And the first time I ever interviewed, it was at a different seminary. Um, they said, well, that's great. We're glad you have all these other interests, but how are you going to find time for that in your rabbinate? Hmm. And I said, oh, that's not the place. <laughs> that is not the place. <laughs> Asking me to segregate myself more, you know, splinter all these aspects. I said, no, I have to wait for that place where they want me to be a whole person. Hmm. And when I went to seminary where I, I became a rabbi and I told them this, the same story, you know, that I told the other interviewer, they said, what an asset for your rabbinate. Hmm. And that's when I knew they got that. I had to be a whole person. I had to use all these other gifts and talents that I had been given for my rabbinet, not separate them. Mm, so good.
But I'm so like, I think oftentimes, like, it, I think it takes courage for you to have waited to find the place that you knew was right, you know, because I'm sure it would have been easy for you to splinter yourself off. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of tears, a lot of just really just going, okay, already, like enough time, please just tell me what I do. Help me make heads or tails of this. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, that permission specifically, I, I don't know if it's all women. I know for myself as a woman, that can be one of the most challenging things to give myself permission. Because I hear all these other voices of people telling me, oh, you should do this. Oh, that would be the best decision. Oh, this, this, that, that, that. And to actually look inside myself and to say, wait a second, who are you? You know, what is that divine that wants to live out in the world? And to trust that, to trust that intuitive knowing takes so much courage. It is not for the faint of heart. No, I totally agree. And actually, where I kind of want to wrap up today is really talking about how you have either learned how to trust that knowing or help others learn to trust their own knowing. I'd say the first and most important aspect of that is the energy work that I do. Mm -hmm. And being able to access that part of me that is beyond me as well, Yes. is so key. And, and, you know, people discover that through meditation, through dancing, through singing, through a million ways. But, you know, for me, being able to get in touch with that aspect that is beyond me is what made me begin to start trusting myself again. And seeing that little child who knew there were no separations in the world. Everything was whole and complete. It's so funny that you say that because, you know, I've done a lot of like inner child work mm -hmm. and that piece of me getting to know her yeah. was a very direct link of getting to know the divine in me. Mm, yes. So it's interesting that you say that because it's like there was such a, like she was such a bridge to learning what that divine voice sounds like when it's speaking to me, what it feels like. Yes. There's like that purity there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because that's how we came in with that purity. And there's, there's a story around that that I, I'm happy to end with, which is that there's, there's this idea in Judaism, this, this story about how just before we're born, like as we're going through the birth canal, um, that some something happens that, that changes us. When we were in the womb, we knew all of Torah, which I would interpret as being, we knew everything. We knew who we were. We were 100% connected in with our divinity. We just got it. And then as we're coming out of the birth canal, there's an angel that comes in and it touches us right above our lip. And you'll notice we have a little indentation there. Mm -hmm. And the second that angel touches us right there, we forget everything we knew. Oh. But as we know, there's always a little remembrance that is stored within our bodies, within ourselves. And so we spend our lives looking for our Torah, looking mm -hmm. for what it is we already knew. 
looking for that divinity that we connect with so deeply because it's ours. And so that's sort of the journey that sometimes I feel like I'm on. You know, I'm just going, okay, show me, show me, because I'm learning within myself what it feels like when it's true. And so now I'm just open to more of that truth being revealed to me. Mm, I just like, <laughs> it's just such a really happy space to end with because like being on this journey of knowing what is true for you, is there anything holier than that? Because to me, that's all about having like that, like being so full of the truth of God or the divine. Like that's the goal, that there is no separation. And to come back to that remembrance of that knowing, of finding our way home to that. And what that feels like inside of us. Because there's so much wholeness mm -hmm. in that. So much wholeness, so much love, so much joy, so much peace, so much delight. And like that overflowing, like you just want to love everyone else up. I know. <laughs> and, like, and letting that force like guide you to the next step and the next step and the next step. Because I really do feel like the more we arrive at our holiness and, and, and live in that space, that we're now like this beautiful, warm ball of clay that is ready to be molded and stretched and expand and serve like a, a purpose in the world, you know? And there's such a deep connection to, I think, remembering who you are and then like doing what you're here to do. Mm, yes, yes. We have to remember yeah. and then let it out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Sharina, thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast with me today. I am so grateful to you. Oh, Megan, thank you so much. My true pleasure. Oh, everybody, I will have links in the show notes for you to connect with Sharina and learn more about her and the work that she's doing in the world. So make sure you check that out. And I will see you soon for another episode on Wild and Holy Radio. Bye.